Witnessing and evangelism is hugely important to me. Someone speaking truth to me is what brought me to saving faith. That's ultimately why we're here, to be able to share what Jesus has done in my life and to share what he wants to do for every person. Loving those people means sharing about Jesus. It means seeing them for who they are and loving them where they're at, no matter where that is. I'm curious to know if you think that you are the type of person that shares easily. Maybe you could ask the person sitting next to you whether you're that type of person, but there's two different types of people, someone who shares easily and someone who likes to keep things to themselves. Think of it like this. If you discovered something good or something that you thought was great, would you naturally share that with someone else or would you keep it to yourself? If you came across a new snack or a new candy that you just thought was delicious, would you keep that for yourself or would you tell other people about it? I'll be honest with you, when it comes to food, I've got a hard time sharing, okay? Especially chocolate, you can ask my wife, I don't, I don't share it, it's for me only, right? But there are other areas of my life that this is true where I will share. Like if I come across a great show on Netflix, I'm gonna tell you about it, okay? I'm gonna tell, I'm gonna tell my friends, I tell the lady who cuts my hair, like if, if I thought it was good for me, I think it's gonna be good for you and so I share that naturally, but there are other people who don't operate like this in their lives. Not too long ago, my friend, I mean my coworker, Chris Franklin, he came across an online auction that was amazing for him. He was finding incredible deals and, and, and all kinds of stuff. He was collecting things. It was really cool. And so I asked him about it and how I could get involved. And my coworker, Chris, would not share the information to the auction with me. And he was getting such incredible deals that apparently he didn't want me bidding against him, I guess. And so he wouldn't share. And so he was very reluctant to give that to me. I Eventually I did pry it out of him and now I know about it, but you know, he was reluctant. So what about you? Uh, just think about yourself, just your, your personality real quick. Do you tend to share easily when you have something good or you've discovered something good and, and do you want other people to experience it or do you tend to keep those things to yourself. How's this relate to your faith, really? When you think about your faith or the church, you know, if you, if you love your church, then it would be something that you talk about. If you have a relationship with Christ, if you've experienced his love and his grace and his mercy in your life, then honestly, you wouldn't think twice about sharing that with someone else and talking to them about Jesus. And as we continue this series, Love Your Church, we're going to talk about sharing our faith because I believe this is vital. This is vital for us to become a healthy church, that we understand this, that we comprehend it, and, and that we live this in our lives, what it looks like to share our faith. The question that we all kind of wrestle with at some point when we become a Christian or um, or have been raised in the church, the question that we all wrestle this with is this, whose responsibility is it to tell people about Jesus? Like, like, where does it land? Where does the responsibility land? Or maybe you would say, who gets the privilege of sharing Jesus with other people? Now, for years and years, most people have believed that that's the responsibility of the church, right? It's the preacher, it's the pastors, it's those people on staff, the, the ones who work at the church. That is their responsibility to uh, tell people about Jesus. And so 
over time, the American church kind of developed this field of dreams approach. You know what that is, right? If you build it, they will come. And so if you have a nice facility and you have hot coffee, then they'll probably come. And, and over the years, it, it worked. And it, it, not for a long time, but it worked for a short while. It really did work. But the only problem with all of this is it's a bad strategy. Because the personal invite has always been the most important thing. Most people come to church by invitation. In fact, the research will tell us that 83% of new people who come to church come because they were invited by a friend or a relative. 83% of new people who show up in church come because a friend or a relative invited them. Now, when I read that stat, I, I was kind of perplexed because you would think that the influence of millennials and Gen Z over time would have uh, changed this number because you can research online and you could watch stuff online. And while that's true, we, we do that, the number's not changing. The personal invite has always been the trump card that wins when it comes to inviting people and getting them to show up in church. And so this all really matters. This all matters because being a part of the local church, or I would honestly just say following Jesus, it requires you to share. It requires you to move outside of your own personal faith and to share the love of Jesus with those people around you. That is my hope for our time today to show that to you and to share that with you. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Romans chapter one. We're gonna be in several different texts today, but this is where we're gonna start. And as we work through this idea of talking about Jesus and sharing Jesus with people in our lives, my hope is to focus first on the heart over the method, okay? I need you to hear that. We're gonna focus first on the heart over the method. Many people will say, well, I don't know how to share my faith. And so that's why I don't do it. I, I don't know how to do it. And while the how-to is important, and if you stay with me, if you pay attention, by the end of this, I will show you the how-to, I promise you. I will show you the how-to. But what I have learned and what I'm realizing is that the want-to is actually the problem. Most of us, if we're honest, we haven't been stirred enough in our hearts to really figure out the how-to. And so this is my hope today is to get our hearts stirred, get our hearts moving towards this. Y'all ready? Okay, let's do it. Because we make the public reading of scripture important as a part of our service, I wanna invite you to stand with me as we read this single verse to kick things off. Romans chapter one, verse 16, the apostle Paul writes this. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. All right, guys, thank you. You could be seated. We do that because we ask God to bless the, the reading and the hearing of his word as a part of our service. But this verse right here, this is what we're aiming for. We, we are aiming to not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus and to recognize the power that it brings through God and most importantly, the salvation that is available to everyone, everyone, right? We need to move our hearts to this truth so that we can begin accepting the responsibility as followers of Jesus to do what he's told us to do. 
So if you'd like to take notes, if that's how you'd like to pay attention, that's really our first idea today. When it comes to sharing Jesus, we need to be commanded. We need to be commanded. What do I mean by that? If we're gonna talk, first of all, if we're gonna talk about the responsibility to share Jesus with others, we call that evangelism. We call it witnessing. We even call it spiritual influence today. I'm mostly just gonna refer to this as sharing Jesus. If we're gonna take that responsibility, then we need to know that as followers of Christ, we've been commanded to do this. Now, Matthew was a companion of Jesus, followed around, saw most of his ministry, and he was a meticulous writer. And as he comprised his gospel in the middle of the first century, he decided to end the gospel with the very last words of Jesus. And so as Jesus had already resurrected and appeared to hundreds of people and spent time with his disciples, he had these last words right before he was going to ascend and to leave them. And you know these words because they're familiar, because they're also important. And this is what he says in Matthew 28. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is what we call the Great Commission, right? You see it right in there. He's telling his disciples, and by connection, us, to go and to make disciples. Now, let me ask you a question. How many times have you heard this verse, right? If you've been in church long enough, you've heard this verse dozens, maybe even hundreds of times. We are familiar with it. We know it. Many of you even probably have it memorized. What's it mean? What are we supposed to do? You're smart enough people, you know the answer. It's right there. He says to go and make disciples. I think that the Greek of this word go, which is very, at the very beginning is really important. It's this word poriomai. It means I travel or I journey or I go. What's that tell you? It's an action. It's not passive. It's not, a, it's not an attitude of, well, if, if the moment's ever right, then maybe I'll, no, no, no. It is, a, it is a pick yourself up and go and move and to do something. And from the moment that Jesus left this earth, he has left the keys of the gospel in our hands to do something with it, to go and to do it. And if you are going to be a part of the local church, you need to recognize that this is what Jesus has commanded you to do. It is a command, it is an expectation. You don't get to opt out, you don't get to sit out, you don't get to pass it to other people down the row. This is for all of us, this is for you, this is for me. And we need to recognize this. Here, here's the problem that we run into. Have you ever tried to make someone do something that they didn't wanna do? I feel like this happens to me every night at the dinner table at my house. <laughs> Because when we sit down for dinner as a family, all of a sudden, my son is the, is the problem. Uh, he's turning seven in a couple days, and every time we have dinner, guess what happens? Well, his belly hurts now, right? Or guess what? He's full. Or, or even a bigger surprise, tonight, guys, guess what? I don't like chicken, okay? <laughs> right? If you're a parent, you kind of know what this feels like, right? And so I, this may sound ridiculous to you, but sometimes dinner time at my house is the most stressful part of my day because I'm trying to make my children eat food that they don't want to eat for whatever reason. I don't know. Thanks for listening to that. I just had to, <laughs> so to get that off my chest. Maybe it's like, you know, uh, when I was a teenager, I don't know what your mom was like. Maybe you are this mom, and I, I won't apologize ahead of time, okay? But my mom 
loved to take pictures. Like all the time, everywhere we went, everything we did, pictures. We have so many pictures um, of all the, all the things that we did. And so um, now listen to me. Now I, I'm appreciative, okay? Because I've got pictures of when I was a child and, and when I was a teenager of things that I probably would have forgotten um, but now, I, some of them I wish I would have forgotten, okay? But, you know, I have pictures that help me to remember these things, so I'm, I'm appreciative of that. My mom is a scrapbooker, and so if you know what that means, this is kind of her hobby, and so, you know. When I was a teenager, uh, I wasn't the most cooperative model, okay? And so there was a lot of pictures uh, because it was everywhere, all the time. Again, it was just, it was, it was just too much. So everywhere we went, there was pictures, and so most of these pictures, when I was like, a teenager end up with this like half smirk, annoyed teenage look. Some of you high school parents know what I'm talking about, right? You see that <laughs> almost daily. Um, why? Why, why? Why do I look like that? Because she was making me do something I didn't want to do. And what we know is making somebody do something that they don't want to do is never really the answer, right? Here's what I think. I don't think that was the problem when Jesus told these men to go and to make disciples. He, he was not asking them to do something that they were reluctant to do. They were bought in. They, they were invested. They knew what was at stake. But I think that the problem that we face in the church when it comes to sharing Christ is that we are asking you to do something that you're either afraid to do or uh, you don't know what to do or even worse, you feel like you don't need to do it and so you don't do it. And so this is what we wrestle with and that's why beyond being commanded, which I think is important to recognize that Jesus has told you to do this, beyond being commanded, I think that we all need to be compelled. We need to be compelled. It's important to know that you are commanded to share the gospel but it can be life-changing to be compelled to share the gospel. When you are compelled, you do it naturally. You do it out of love. You do it from your heart. And isn't that what we all want? I mean, at the end of the day, we all want to live out our faith, not out of like requirement or, or um, someone telling us to do something, but out of passion. And in my, in my opinion, my, just my opinion, I truly believe that every single one of us who follow Christ can have a passion for sharing Jesus with the people around us. I, I believe that. And when we do, when we have this passion and we live it out, we help fulfill the mission and the purpose of the local church. So to be compelled, I think that we need to start seeing people differently than we do right now. This is what this comes down to. Jesus was the perfect example of this. Uh, when he saw people he was compelled. I want you to look at these words that Matthew again writes in his gospel, chapter nine, as he tells the story of what Jesus was doing. He says, Jesus went through all the towns and the villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And we could spend a lot of time talking about that passage. I could preach a whole message about what Jesus says here and what he does. But the idea that I want to focus on is that when Jesus saw people who needed God, he had compassion on them. 
He didn't mind his own business. He didn't, he didn't ignore them. He didn't stay in his own lane. He was compelled. And that word compassion in the original language just means to be moved on the inside. And so Jesus, when he saw them helpless and harassed, he had compassion. He was moved by something on the inside. What's that mean? He was, he was compelled to do something. And so he turns to his disciples and tells them, look, the harvest is plentiful. We need to ask God to send more people to help. That's how Jesus saw this. There, there's a story about Dwight Moody that I want to share with you. I, I came across this. He was an evangelist in the 1800s. If you've ever heard of the uh, Moody Bible Institute or Moody Radio, it's named after Dwight Moody. And so um, when he was on one of his evangelistic tours in the 1800s, there was several British clergymen that came to him and they asked him the question um, somewhere along the lines of, they came to Dwight and said, we wanna know how someone so unschooled and normal as you is winning so many people to Jesus. Sounds like a compliment, but it was like a backhand compliment, right? You know, how are you doing this? Because you're normal, you're unschooled, you're kind of, I mean, you're not as good as us. How are you winning so many people to Jesus? And so the story goes that Dwight took these clergymen, um, they were in this room, and he took them over to a window that overlooked a park. And uh, he said, I want you to look out the window and tell me what you see. And so as these men, they look out the window, they start describing the people in the park and what they were wearing and what they were doing and all these type of things. And after they were finished, Dwight looks out the window and tears start rolling down his face. He starts crying in front of these men. And so one of them mustered up the courage to say, Dwight, what do you, what do you see? What do you see that, that we're not seeing? And this was his response. He says, I see countless thousands of souls that will one day spend an eternity in hell if they do not find the Savior. saw people differently, maybe to be compelled. We need to start seeing people a little bit differently. Maybe we need to recognize that life is just a, a little bit more than the jobs that we have or the family that we live with or the things that we can buy. There are people who are literally all around us headed for an eternity in separation from God. And listen to me, I'm guilty of this as well, okay? I am preaching to myself. We know that there are people who are headed for an eternity away from God and yet we go about our day like it doesn't even bother us. What in the world are we doing? Right? We, we know the hope that Christ offers us. We know that because of our sin, we are in a place of separation from God. We are headed for an eternity of separation from God because of the sin in our life. But we also know the hope that Jesus offers us, that, that God has provided a substitute for our sin in the form of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross so that all of us can find salvation from our sins and spend an eternity with him. That is the gospel hope that we hang on to. We know this. And so we, as the body of Christ, we have to be concerned about telling people about this hope to as many people as possible until time runs out. Because once time runs out, that's it. You don't get any more chances. And if you are not about that life, then who will be? There is nobody coming behind the church. It is us, it is on us. And so I get so grieved, honestly, sometimes 
of this form of Christianity that we live out where we show up into our churches and, and we sing some songs or we listen to some people sing some songs and then we wanna hear a message that makes us feel good or, or even worse, just to know the Bible better. Instead of recognizing that maybe God has saved you to make you a missionary. He has saved you to make you a gospel distributor. He has saved you so that you could have spiritual influence in someone's life. The truth is that there is a lot at stake in your willingness to see people a little bit differently and to have a heart for lost people. Don't take it lightly. Are you hearing me today? I want you to feel the weight of this because there is an eternity hanging in the balance and we can do something about it. Beyond Jesus, there was one person that we could probably point to as probably who was the greatest evangelist that we know outside of Christ. It's the Apostle Paul. And as he wrote to the church in Rome, he said this. I think this is so good for us to hear. You know, how can they call on him, talking about Jesus, unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? How will they go, anyone go and tell them without being sent? This is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. What's he saying? He's saying it's on us. It's on us to, to speak up and to go and to share because if not us, then who? Who's gonna do this? This is Here's what I need you to understand. This is not just another thing that a Christian does. This is what we do. This, this is who we are, and we have to be compelled at some level to do all that we can to help lead people to Jesus, probably people that you already know and care about. Paul became so compelled, as he writes this, he became so compelled with helping to, people to know Jesus that he decided that he's gonna share this with everyone that he could. Wherever, whenever, whatever he was doing, he was going to share Christ. I don't know if you know this, but Apostle Paul took four missionary journeys that we know about. And on these journeys, he converted new believers as he shared the gospel. He uh, established churches. He raised up leaders. He even corrected doctrine. I mean, he did it all. But as he wrote to the church in Corinth, which is one of his earlier letters, is probably written between his second and his third journey. This is what he tells them. He says, though I am free and I belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone. Seems kind of weird, why does he say that? To win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law, to the weak I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all means I might save some. And I do all of this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. He was all in. This is what he was about. He was willing to deny himself personally and religiously and socially and completely if it meant saving some eternally. This is what he cared about. He did everything that he could to help lead people to Jesus and church. I'm just begging you at some level to have a heart that is compelled to reach people for Jesus. If you are not willing to exercise spiritual influence for your family, 
or your friends or your coworkers? Are you really willing to leave it up to chance that somebody else will? If you're gonna call Mount Pleasant Christian Church your home and you're gonna belong to it and you're gonna commit to it and you're gonna serve at it, then you also better have a heart to reach people. This better be who you are and what you are about. And so my prayers must be connected to the Great Commission. And my money must better be connected to the Great Commission. And my mind must be connected to the Great Commission. And my heart needs to be connected to the Great Commission. And when your heart is connected to the mission of Jesus and reaching people, then and only then do we talk about how to do it. You follow me? We have to be compelled, we've gotta be stirred. We we, we have to see this in our heart first. And so I wanna finish, because I told you that we would, by giving you some practical ideas to help you if you feel the responsibility to share Christ with people in your life, to exercise spiritual influence, I wanna give you some, some practical things. So if that's you, you need to be ready. You, you gotta be ready at any moment to have spiritual influence with people. Now hear me, there's not a detailed plan about how to do this, okay? There's some ideas, there's not a detailed plan because everyone is different. And here's what we also know. We live in a culture and honestly a community that has high exposure to Christianity. Even if affiliation has declined, we have high exposure to Christianity. In fact, Barna research suggests that today 72% of people in the US say they were raised Christian, okay? Now a whole lot of qualifiers for that, whatever, however they determined that, they felt like they were raised Christian on some level, 72% of people. Now the Pew Research Center actually did a, released a very recent study that suggested that this number is rapidly decreasing. In adults, 50 years ago, okay, 50 years ago, 90% of US adults would have said that they were Christian. However they qualified that and determined that that, that was true for them, 90%. I was not alive 50 years ago. Some of you were. You can remember the world, okay? 90% of people said that they were Christian. Today, that number is 64%. And so what that means is that more and more people are not identifying as Christian, and so thus they are not raising their children to be Christian. And if these numbers and these trends continue, as they have, then Christianity will be the minority in my lifetime. And that's concerning to me, and it should be concerning to you. And so more and more, we recognize that people aren't interested in coming in those doors. They're not interested in the church. And so if they are not interested in the church, where will they experience and know the love of Christ if they won't come through those doors? It's you. You are the plan. You have always been the plan. Look what Peter says. He says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give you the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. We need to be ready because we know the way to Jesus. We, we know the answer to life. I hope you recognize this too. You have the chance and the opportunity to reach people for Christ that I never could because I don't have a relationship with them. This word here, be prepared, 
in the Greek is one word, and it means, it's this word hetoimos, and it means to be ready because you are prepared, standing by, ready to meet the opportunity or the challenge at hand is what this word means. And there is a challenge at hand that we all need to be prepared to meet. And so we stay ready because we know that it is our responsibility and our privilege. It's an author named Rodney Stark who described how Christianity uh, developed into this, uh, the religion that it became in, in the urban movement in Rome in the first century, right? And so how did it go, honestly, when you think about it, how did it go from something that Rome tried to eradicate by crucifying Jesus, they tried to get rid of this whole thing to some 300 years later, it became the official religion of the Roman Empire. How does that happen? And so he chronicles this and he talks about how the spread of Christianity moved and this is what he says. He says, most conversions are not produced by professional missionaries conveying a new message, but by rank and file members who share their faith with their friends and relatives. Although the very first Christian converts in the West may have been by full-time missionaries, the conversion process soon became self-sustaining as new converts accepted the obligation to spread their faith and did so by missionizing their immediate circle of intimates. It's fascinating, right? We all, if you, if you think about it, we all have an immediate circle of people that we connect with in this life. And in a moment, I'm gonna show you what to do with that. But the important thing is to recognize this starts, it starts with how you live. You cannot lead people to Jesus if your life is also not reflective of his love. A few moments ago, I mentioned to you Barna Research. Well, Barna does a lot of different types of research. And recently, they came out with this research that uh, polled Americans about their openness to spiritual conversations, right? A very interesting study. Well, this is what they said. It's a part of their notes. They said, the missing ingredient in many approaches to sharing faith may actually have nothing to do with what Christians are saying, but how Christians are living. Sadly, people of no faith or of other faiths say that the hypocrisy of religious people is the number one reason they doubt their faith. And this is sad because we all play a part in this. We all have a role in this. How you live is important. And so I just wanna encourage you before we finish, you need to walk the walk before you talk the talk. That's why Paul said this, Colossians chapter four, he says, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive and so that you will have the right response for everyone. So it starts with how we live and the example that we set, but it doesn't stop there. Have conversation, right? And so what do we do? How do we do this? If, if, if sharing your faith and leading people to Jesus, having spiritual influence of people, something that you feel compelled and, and you are ready, what do we do? Please hear me in this. There's literally another entire sermon series we could do on how to do this, but let me give you some thoughts to, to have you consider. I want you to think of your life in these five categories that are gonna be on the screen. Familial, geographical, vocational, recreational, and commercial, okay? I think you're smart enough to figure this out, but familiar is your family. Those are people that uh, you call family. Geographical are the people that you live by, whether it's your neighborhood or however you describe that, people that you live near. Vocational are people that you work with, people at, at your work or your office or even people interact with at work. Recreation would be type of people that you um, have fun with or you play with or at the gym or a sporting event for your kids or something like that. 
Um, and commercial would be just people that you interact with um, in commerce, you know, whether you're buying your groceries or you're at Starbucks or something like that, okay? I want you to think of your life in these five categories. This is your immediate intimates. These are your sphere of influence. This is your circle right now. In these categories, could you identify one person who needs to know Jesus? I hope that the answer is yes, okay? Ideally, you can actually identify multiple people in each category that you know need to know Christ. Now, vocational is a little hard for me, but there are people at church I work with that I'm concerned about. (laughs) But let's just start with one. Do you have somebody in mind? Don't overthink this, okay? Do not overthink. You gotta find the right person. You need the Holy Spirit to let you. gotta pray about it for a week. Just picture somebody, okay? Don't overthink this. And I want you to cross the, that name or those names, whatever comes to mind, with some action steps, okay? Um, the, could you pray? The answer is yes, right? You, you can pray for them. That's the least that you could do. You could, you could pray for them, right? Could you invite them to something? Doesn't have to be church. Could you invite them to anything? Over to your house for a meal or to a game or you know, something like that. Could you invite them to, to anything that you could spend time with them? Could you serve them? Like, could you find a way to bless them that you know a need that they have in, in their life that you could step up and, and, and uh, serve them in some way? Could you give them something? Doesn't have to be something that you buy. You could buy them something, but you could also give them a, a podcast or an article that kind of uh, helps, would open some conversation. Or lastly, are there actually opportunities right now that you're avoiding that you could share about your faith with them? If we have all these names and we have all these opportunities, that, my friends, is what it looks like to have spiritual influence in someone's life. It's not hard. It's not complicated. At Mount Pleasant, we call um, our spiritual influence strategy something that we call One Life. And it's where we ask every single person, if you are a follower of Christ, you call this church your home, to have one life, one person of someone that you know that needs to know Christ and that you are doing these types of things with. We've said that a really easy way to remember this is just to develop friendships, right? To discover their stories and discern next steps, okay? That's all, that's all that all of this is. To identify someone who needs to know Christ, discover their story, learn them, get to know them better, and then see what you can do for them. And listen, while I have drastically simplified this process, I want you to know that we are actually prepared to help you to learn spiritual influence more fully and to live it out. We have internally developed a one life training that can walk you through this process on your own time whenever you want to do it, and as a part of that process, experience mentorship from our staff to help you to live this out. We, we, so there's a website, QR code. I hope you take advantage of this. this is, we're not collecting information from you. This is a way for you to get training to help spiritual influence be a part of your life. And we do this. We spent time doing this because we think it's that important. So beyond all that, there is a specific response I want you to each consider today. It's really simple, but it requires you to participate. Several years ago, we launched uh, a prayer wall outside, uh, right outside these doors that maybe you have seen, maybe you've always ignored it, I'm not sure, but on it were names of people that many of you identified as a one life or someone who needs to know Christ. This weekend, that wall has been emptied. There's no more papers on it. There's nothing on it. My hope is that we can fill it again with fresh new names in, in a a refresh of all of us taking this commitment. So what I'm asking you to do is to take out that card. In fact, I'd love for you to hold it in your hands right now, to take out this card that you got on the way in. Again, this is really simple. I don't need to over-explain this. But I'm asking you to identify one person in your life 
that needs to know Christ. And in a minute, I'm gonna ask you to turn these in. You're gonna keep the bottom and you're gonna turn in the top. But here's the thing. I'm asking all of you to participate in this. I'm not asking you to go home and think about it. I'm asking you to recognize that you've been commanded, that you've been compelled. We are the church. We are the front lines. I'm not asking you to be evangelists and go door to door and and to to share your faith that way. I'm asking you to, to identify one person in your world that needs to know Jesus and then to be a little bit more intentional with your life, to recognize that you are commanded, you are compelled, and I hope that you are ready. You remember the question that we asked 35 minutes ago that we started, whose responsibility is it? Well, here's the answer. It's our responsibility to share Jesus with this world. No one else, our is, is the church, the people who make up the church. And so if you wanna love the church, let's all move the mission forward collectively. Not just not just people on staff, all of us, collectively, we move the mission forward. We do what Jesus has commanded us to do and what we are compelled to do. And here's what I also know. There are people in this room right now who have done this. They have seen their family and their friends commit to Jesus and have their life changed because they invested and they prayed and they were intentional and they did something or they spoke up. Would you be willing to be a little bit more intentional with your life to lead someone to Jesus? And so there it is. If you're a first-time guest, welcome. <laughs> if you don't know Christ, and you found yourself in this room today, and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, the first step for you is to get to know Christ. And if that's not you, then disregard this, please. But I'll be down here up front, we're gonna have prayer counselors on the side this morning that would love to talk to you about that first. But for the rest of us, it's go time. I want you to pray with me. Lord, I pray and ask you and thank you for who you are and what you have done for us. But I'm asking that you would move our hearts in this moment this morning. This would not just be a message that we walk out, we took some notes and we know you better. This is a moment to propel us into a life of mission and purpose. Lord, help us to feel the weight and the responsibility that is on us that you have left for us to do to bring your kingdom here on earth. Lord, we remember the book of Revelation tells us at the end of all, how this all ends is that one day there's gonna be a book that's gonna be opened and some people's names are gonna be in it and some people's names are not. And the names that are in the book are gonna spend an eternity with you and the names that are not in the book are gonna spend an eternity in separation from you. Lord, help us to live our life with intentionality. Help us to love you enough and to be grateful enough of what you've done in our lives to share it, to help other people to know Jesus, to recognize that honestly, there's nothing more important in this life than helping people to know Christ. And so move our hearts in this moment, Lord. Allow us to respond to you. Help us to put aside everything else and just to be responsive to your command and you stirring our hearts. Invite you into this space and what you're gonna do with us and as we move out of this place. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.